Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this interview, I talked to Jesse Lakes, one of the founders over at Genius Link. Jesse's been on the show a couple times, and you should check out those other episodes if you haven't listened to them. This is a cool episode because Genius Link acquired another company. They actually bought Kit, which is the largest social platform for creators to showcase their favorite products and setups. And they actually bought it from Patreon, which is pretty cool. There are a couple links in the description so you could read like the press releases that they sent out. But in this interview, Jesse and I just have like a candid conversation about acquiring companies and the challenges of, you know, growing the company or basically integrating two companies together, which sounds pretty tough to me. After the interview, I answer a couple questions that were sent in via email or uh, perhaps uh, on like a YouTube comment or something like that. So be sure to stick around for that. Anyway, let's get to the interview now. Hey, what's going on? Doug Cunnington here from Niche Site Project and welcome to the Doug Show. I'm here with Jesse Lakes again from Genius Link. How's it going? Uh, it's going really well. Thank you. Today, we are going to talk about some CEO level stuff and some scary entrepreneurship things. At least it sounds scary to me. We're talking about acquisitions and how and why a company would want to do that. And Jesse is very qualified to talk about this. So um, can you at first tell us just a little about uh, Genius Link, just the, you know, the two sentence version, and I'll refer people back to other episodes where they can learn more. And then um, we will uh, launch into the acquisition stuff. But yeah, what was Genius Link about? Sure. So we call ourselves an intelligent link management platform, but kind of the big value add probably that's going to resonate most with your audience is uh, we help websites, uh, publishers, creators, uh, take a single Amazon link and make it work across all of Amazon's global infrastructure of 15 different storefronts and 15 different affiliate programs. Perfect. And Genius Link has acquired a couple companies at this point. So can you just talk about that? I mean, for a lot of people, um, just having a company and a few employees seems kind of overwhelming. It sounds overwhelming to me. <laughs> it is overwhelming. No, you're you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, no. I need to emphasise that point. You're yeah. you're 100 spot on there. So it sounds overwhelming, and then it sounds, I would say, bananas to acquire another company, especially a couple of the ones that that we're going to talk about today. So what what brings you to the point where you're thinking, hey, I'm going to try and buy another company and integrate them together. So for both of the opportunities we've had, they, they really were opportunities. You know, we were a bootstrap startup. We don't have really rich people giving us lots of money. Um, the money that we have is, is money that, you know, we had to work really hard to. And it's we made a conscious decision to, to keep it in the, the bank account of the company instead of, you know, putting it in our, our own pockets, my, my co-founders and my team and I. So, yeah, it's we, we, we do it because we think it's it's the right move. Uh, it's, it's really the right opportunity where, you know, you see 
other companies that are, you know, especially right now in the news, you're, you're hearing about companies that are are buying up other smaller companies to create moats and create um, leverage and, and kind of keep their competition at at bay. And that's that's not why we've done it. And yeah, you know, I'm sure there's a million different reasons why you would you would do an acquisition. But for us, it was really the the right time, the right place, the right opportunity, um, and, and the pieces really kind of fell together. Um, all that being said, yeah, you know, we. We had our 10th birthday not too long ago, and we've done two acquisitions. So we we don't move fast, but um, we, we move targeted. We're, we're, we're strategic, I guess. Awesome. Now, um, it sounds like one of them was sometime in the past, but one of them is, uh, I'm not sure the ink is even dry yet. So can you mention um, the, the yeah. latest acquisition here? Yeah, yeah. So um, we just uh, acquired Kit. Uh, so kit.com. Um, it's a fairly popular platform for influencers and creatives to to share and curate the different products that they love. Um, it's a uh, yeah. We're we're really excited about that. The, the ink has dried. We um we'll be announcing it publicly. Well, we'll have announced it publicly by the time the uh, audience is listening to this. Very cool. Congrats. Um, can Thank you, you. Can you walk us through like the process of like this kit.com acquisition. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, taking a huge step back. So before, before geo, right. So before genius link, the company was called geo, right. And before geo, right. Um, I spent some time at Apple. I was uh, on the iTunes marketing team. And when I first came to Apple, um, first came to the iTunes marketing team, um, my boss was, was awesome, super helpful onboarding me. She wasn't super technical. So she introduced me to this woman on the team. Um, that was doing more of kind of the partner marketing side, uh, and her name was Camille, and Camille was crazy helpful, much more technical than my boss, and really helped help me feel at home with the uh, iTunes team, and really kind of helped take on a lot of uh, the, the challenges that <laughs> that were now my responsibility. So Camille and I started off um, having just this great relationship. She uh, she had been with iTunes for some time, uh, and she went to Google, um, YouTube, and then uh, off to off to Europe for a bit. But then ultimately. In about 2015, um, I heard from her again. She was working on a startup in, in New York. So she had been fortunate enough to uh, have raised some money, uh, had built a great team, and started working on this whole platform. And uh, as soon as I kind of heard the story, it made made a lot of sense. Um, but that was really kind of when, when Kit was was created in those early days. I felt honored that she she reached out to me because she knew that affiliate was going to play some role in that. And she, you know, again, knew my affiliate uh, excitement uh, from from the iTunes days. So we, we chatted a few times early on. And then uh, as they kind of started to progress the platform, uh, we were fortunate enough to be, be chosen as their vendor to help globalize their Amazon links. So we had a, a pretty close um, relationship there because that was one of their main revenue streams. Was running through our platform, we had the relationship, so really was able to kind of watch, um, you know, from from the front street or from the front lines of, of Kit, you know, really grow and do some some really cool things. Um, unfortunately, the the team put a ton of effort into it. They they built what I think is an amazing platform. Uh, when you're venture backed, you're kind of you're playing a very different game than than what we were playing. You know, kind of being bootstrapped, kind of doing it at our own pace. So. Uh, unfortunately, raising a seed round is, is a challenge, but raising a Series A is is a real significant challenge. Um, as I understand, the pieces didn't quite work out, uh, but thankfully, Patreon, the good old Patreon, uh, was was there and and did a hired hired up the uh, or sorry bought up the the kit team uh, and the the kit asset. So Patreon took it on uh, a little over fourteen months ago, um, and the, the site ran. Uh, unfortunately though, we were seeing that it wasn't quite getting the love that it had gotten before. So again, had that easy proximity to Camille was able to reach out, uh, have some conversations. She was, she was pretty busy at first, but we're able to really kind of connect in December. We just started the conversation, you know, what, what would it look like 
to, you know, for us to, to try to give Kit uh, a home. Um, and it was, you know, we, again, bootstrap company, we, we don't, <laughs> we don't have a ton of money. We try to put money in the bank when we can. Um, but we, we invest a lot of our money back into the team and back into the technology to, to continue to grow. Um, so it was, it was a bit of a, an awkward conversation of, you know, you guys played, you know, with lots of zeros in, in those early days. Yeah, we don't have those zeros, but again, we have some really cool technology. Our, our audiences overlap. We work with a lot of creators as well. You know, obviously the technology overlaps as well. You're using our technology as a monetization platform, but what would this look like? So it was, it was a slow start to the conversation. Uh, there were some different stakeholders that kind of had to be brought in, but um, as it really kind of started coming together, we we saw opportunity. Um, it's uh, kit has huge potential. Um, hopefully we can get it there, but it's, we're not in it to make money off of it. We're, we're in it because we think the platform's cool. We think it's very complimentary to what we do. Uh, and we, we love the audience. So anyway, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent here. Give me, give me back on track. No, that that's amazing. So you had a relationship with like smart people from the Apple days and it sounds like, um, People that get into Apple are usually doing interesting stuff and they progress and they meet other interesting people. Um, so th- it's amazing. So this was about like just the relationships that you had and just understanding like the good overlap of the audience and that sort of thing. And, you know, if there's one thing, if there's one lesson that I can take out of it from where we're at right now, it is about those relationships. It's about, you know, giving, maintaining, helping, you know, I, I, spent hours talking to Camille early on about what I understood about the Amazon affiliate program and just affiliate marketing in general. Um, and you know, that whole give first mentality, you know, thankfully has come back and, and, you know, paid off in, in a, in a significant way, but yeah, network, help people just stay connected and, and opportunities will, will appear. Interesting. Well, I have other, like probably off the record questions that I'm thinking of now, <laughs> but, um, for like integrating the two companies together and like the employees, like how do you deal with the change management there? Have you, I mean, you've had some experience, but what's your plan here? So honestly, we've never actually, we've both the acquisitions we've done, we've done an asset purchase. So I'm not a lawyer. There's two different types of of purchases here, right? You can, you can acquire the company, or you can acquire the assets. When you acquire the company, you're taking everything with it, including the team, including the liabilities, the equity, et cetera. Or on the flip side, which is what we've done twice now, is we will buy the assets. And typically, you're buying everything from the company. So the company, essentially, nothing's left. You, you grabbed it all up. But you're you're switching it over into a new holding company or a new company or whatever it may be. So I I've never had the privilege, the pleasure, the, uh, the challenge of, of bringing in a new team and, and, <laughs> and ingesting them into the genius link team. Um, maybe someday, but it's, that sounds like a significant challenge. So taking a step back, one of, um, when Kit, I'm sorry, when Camille and I were at iTunes, uh, iTunes had just done an acquisition. I'm totally spacing out the name now, but it was a, it was a music service. This is 2010, 2011, but it was a music service that had a pretty, pretty huge fan base. And it was, um, really kind of interesting to see how, all of a sudden, all the conference rooms in our building were full of this other team. They had been integrated over. And it was kind of a sad story to see that over the next year, 18 months, more and more seats in those conference rooms were empty. And it just, I, I think, you know, I, I love Apple. I, I drank the Kool-Aid. You know, they've, they've been great partners for us. Uh, but I don't think they managed that acquisition as, as well as they could be from kind of that human 
capital perspective, you know, putting people in, in fishbowl conference rooms and asking them to work there for days, weeks, months. I, I could see that not being the ideal situation for, for people that had just left a startup that was they were quite passionate about. Yep. And Sorry for the tangent. No, no. Well, I'm about to go on one here too. <laughs> like the other thing that happens, I mean, it's tough. I don't know how to manage it. And I, I would say you're lucky that you're, and you're not putting yourself in that position where you have to like, you know, lay off good people that are doing good work. Cause basically what happens is you have two teams, there's redundant jobs. And then what do you do? You don't need like three people to do the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. and the value for the company could be to consolidate things. But, uh, what I was going to say is I've been, I guess my career timing has been poor. Um, so I guess no fault of my own, but basically I've had some, you know, downturns, there's always recessions or whatever, but I was at a job where I had to lay off most of the team. You know, they're like, Hey, you know, lay off most of the team. And then you know what they do? Everybody look out for this. Then they lay you off. They make you lay off your team and then they come for you and you're thinking, Hey, I'm all right. They're having me lay off the other folks. So get ahead of the curve, I would say, and like yeah. get out of there. Cause it's no fun to lay off someone, um, at, at all and make, make your boss, make your yeah, boss the, do it. So we've, uh, yeah, that's the hardest thing I've ever done with genius link is we had to lay a couple of people off about a year ago and that, that sucked. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a, I think it was harder for me, honestly, than, than the actual person. But I, I made a promise. I hired this person. And now I have to tell them that I can't honor that promise. That that just, yeah, that really ripped me apart. So, yeah, layoffs are, layoffs are a challenge. Better to operate as lean and as scrappy as you can for as long as you can. Yeah, it was an ego thing you know, early on in my, my entrepreneurial days. Yeah, I wanted to build a team as quickly as I can. Yeah, when I, I say we're a team of 11, you know, I say that proudly now. But before, it's like, oh, well, you're a team of 18 or 20. I, I want to be that big. I want to be that cool. Um, and yeah, don't, don't overhire. That's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. It's so, yeah, it's so tough. Like you said, at some point it's kind of, it's a little ego coming into play, but yeah. Okay. So you're not having to manage, um, like integrating teams. It's just the assets. So in this case, it's like the website and the technology and software behind it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Any other SAS assets, like any physical stuff or is it all just like, it's all digital. Yeah. Which pros and cons. Ah, there were some stickers and some matchbooks. Those, those got handed off some, some swag. So I guess that was the physical side of it, but yeah, it's all, it's all digital. The flip side though, to, to be honest is, um, the brain trust, um, you know, software is written in a specific way by, by a group of people that think and, and operate in a specific way. And it's really challenging to look at some code and start to understand and piece those together. So uh, the Patreon team has been amazing in working with us and really helping transition that. But we know that you know, we, we designate a certain amount of hours that we get of, of their help before you know, this is done. And when those hours are up, it's, it's going to be hard. We're going to be on our own. They've really been great training wheels to uh, help with that. But they've, yeah, they built a really full tool. There's a lot of different aspects to it. So there's, we're getting ourselves in, uh, <laughs> in pretty deep here. I'm, I'm sure we're going to be surviving. I'm sure it's going to work out fine, but there's a, that brain trust is, is definitely one of the big benefits of bringing, bringing some team with you. Interesting. Now getting into like, um, I guess how it's going to operate. So you have mm-hmm. this new asset, um, it stands alone and mm-hmm. it's using genius link. So mm-hmm. How are you going to like 
grow it? Like what, what's the plan here? So you have two different things that are operating independently. Yeah. So the first we get, we have to get the asset to a point where it can be break even. Um, it's, you know, monetization was not their focus. They were focused on growth, which makes perfect sense. That's what VC based companies do. Um, we're not VC backed. We need to make sure this asset can hit break even as soon as possible. So kind of the first focus is taking the genius link team, um, you know, leaving some people to ensure that genius link continues to, to grow, but we need to take the bulk of the team and reduce costs and, and make sure we're not leaving money on the table. But that's, Again, that's kind of the core of what GeniusLink does. So that was, again, why this opportunity is so interesting for us is some optimization, applying kind of our smarts to this platform. We think we can do both those things relatively quickly. Um, okay. Once once those pieces are there, once we're, we're break even, then that's kind of the phase two. Okay. And with the... In- you don't have to answer this too specifically, but like as um, as it stands now with the number of, say, users on kit and the number of purchases that you see um, as a trend, like is it just a matter of refining things down, distilling them so that you don't have so much waste and there, there's enough users to convert that over? Or do, do you have some growth to do before you can hit that break even point? So the growth is happening organically. Um, that's one of the, the really cool things. Again, they they built a platform that that just grows itself, um, which is amazing. Uh, they, they, I can't say enough how how <laughs> how creative a job they did. It's a free tool, which I think definitely helps that. So I, I can't, you know, I don't want to uh, downplay what we've done with Genius Link, but the, the the site continues to grow. There's more traffic. There's more users coming on constantly, and there's there's some real challenges. So if you, <laughs> you know, I don't want to point fingers, but yeah, you, know, you go in, you have three different options on how to sign up. Unfortunately, one of those three options is completely broken and has been for some time. So just you know, fixing some of those basic low-hanging fruit of, of that functionality so that, again, that interest, that intent can go to interest and, and can be executed upon with minimal friction. You know, those are really going to be the, the projects that we're going to focus on relatively early on. So be able to sign in with, with any of the different you know, single sign-on services that you like to use, you know, making sure that pages load efficiently. Unfortunately, there's been some downtime. The site has been loading really slow. So just some database optimizations, making sure it's on the right infrastructure. You know, Genius Link, we have some some enterprise contracts with some some big names. So we need to be crazy overbuilt uh, to ensure that our links are always resolving. You know, 100% uptime is, you know, is where we need to be. So moving them to our infrastructure that's already essentially paid for, yes, it'll add a little bit of a load, but we're really good at managing that. Our background is in, in, in web hosting. So um, there's some pieces there where, again, we have the right opportunity, the right time, the right pieces just kind of came together. But I'm going off on a tangent now again. That, yeah, no, it's super cool, like understanding the advantages that you have and the experience um, on your team where it's like, oh, there's there's such a good opportunity to like optimize some things. And it sounds like through the path that kit went through, it's like the, um, the value wasn't apparent externally, but you have to have the right team, hopefully like yours to come in and patch the holes and take a different sort of uh, perspective, I guess. Like you're, like you said, you're bootstrapped. You don't have a bunch of money to like, grow and you don't need to you just need to optimize what you have there so exactly very yeah yeah for for a vc they need to see a 100x return for us we just need to see the site being profitable and then we're we're great yeah so that's a massive delta between what their goals were and what our goals were and it's yeah for the end creator for the end consumer of the site yeah 
as long as it's working well, it doesn't, it, it matters less to them. Obviously they want to make sure it's on, on stable footing and sustainable, but you know, at the end of the day, right. I think we've got, we've given it a good home with, yeah, exactly. Our, our, our expertise, their, their problems were our, our solutions. Interesting. And like for, I guess like going back, you obviously made the choice that you wanted to bootstrap. You didn't want to have the VC back. You didn't want like too many investors. It sounds like you kept pretty, like everything pretty tight. What made you, what, what, <laughs> what steered you in that direction versus like going bigger? Yeah. So again, ego plays into this to some degree. Um, let me take a step back. So when we first grew up, we were really fortunate that, um, this, the, the service was, yeah, we didn't take money for the first year. We didn't pay ourselves for the first year. Uh, you know, just coming off of Apple jobs, we had a, a nice bank account that was, that was great. So we were able to, we were seeing money coming in after a year of really kind of pushing on geo riots. So this is, you know, 2012 ish. Um, it was, it was apparent that with a little bit more work, we could actually start to take, take some money from it. And it was going to be enough to, to pay us life. Life was going to be good. Um, so because of that ability to kind of have built something nights and weekends and in, in the time prior, but then be able to kind of come into it and be able to pay ourselves. Uh, you know, it wasn't nearly as much as what Apple was paying us, but it was enough to live on. We were, we were comfortable. I think kind of set us up in that, that mentality that, okay, this, this works. You know, if we work hard, we can pay ourselves and we can have fun doing it. So we really kind of lived in that cycle for a while. Um, and it's, you know, my, my co-founder and um, both my co-founders, my, my wife is one of them. My, my best friend growing up is another. Uh, they have great engineering chops. They're, they're very technical. So having those expertise and be able to work on things early on, I think, really kind of saved us when you have a co-founder or two co-founders that don't have the technical aspect and they need to hire an engineer. Engineers are not cheap. You know, that's that's I, I definitely understand why why startups need to go the VC route and bring it. But again, we were kind of blessed. We had a model that worked. Uh, and really kind of helped us out. That all being said, we, we definitely were growing at a, a decent clip for, for quite some time. Um, and there was ups and downs. We've had, we've had crazy, I've heard, told you some of these stories of, you know, in a month we've had revenue disappear by 50%, um, multiple times in our past. Um, but we, we had hit a, a threshold where we thought we were doing pretty good. We kind of plateaued a little bit. So we actually applied to an incubator. Um, and I spent the uh, early part, I think it was 2016, uh, the first three months of 2016, I flew down to San Francisco. I live in Seattle. flew down to San Francisco every week to attend this, this incubator. And the whole incubator really kind of um, was focused on getting you in front of a VC. So we, yeah, we, we told the Genius Link story in front of 50, 60 VCs um, and had some really good conversations and some good follow-ups. But what was interesting at that point is that we had a decent chunk of change to the bank. We'd, we'd been really fortunate to be able to put some money aside. Um, and we didn't need the VC's money. We just wanted their, their help and their expertise. So one of the things that we were taught is it's all about smart money. Um, but we ultimately decided we don't need the money. We just want the smarts. So we, we you know put together kind of this uh, advisory board, kind of built this group of people to the, the play the VC game, play the angel game, no, no <laughs> startups really well, but yeah, give them some equity in exchange for some help direction, some, some adults to, to kind of keep us, keep us on <laughs> the right path. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's, it's been fortunate enough that to date, we've always been able to grow the team, do what we want to do without asking for other people's money. I've, I've never had a plan where 
I felt comfortable asking for a million bucks or two million bucks to do something because I know that we've got the money, we can do it ourselves in that amount of time. And it's easier. Yes, I've got some advisors to help, you know, check in on me, but it's easier for me and the other Jesse and for Shannon to make the decisions about how to go. Um, so anyway, again, long-winded response. <laughs> no, that's perfect. I mean, it's it's so interesting. Like I I identify well because I it's nice not to have to answer to someone. So I I hear like obviously you want the um, the help and the knowledge from experienced people that have seen whatever it is you're dealing with before. Maybe they can introduce you to people. I, like I don't mm-hmm. know what all the things an advisor does, but you know, at the end of the day, it's like, if you want to do a thing or change the direction, like you, the three of you can figure it out. sounds like. Absolutely. So very cool. Well, um, anything else to add around uh, the acquisition or, you know, if people are sort of in the position, they're like, ah, I'm thinking of maybe acquiring either a competitor or some other complimentary company. Um, what advice might you give them? As hard as it is, try to keep emotion out of it. Uh, again, you know, it's it's really exciting to say, oh, yeah, we acquired this company. You know, this as as founders, right? You know, kind of the the acquisitions, the exits. Those are kind of those are the milestones that are most exciting, most important. Uh, so you know, you spend all this time in the weeds, you know, pushing, pushing, and working, working, and then this this whole you know acquisition exit, whatever whatever you want to call it, or whatever side of that <laughs> excitement you're on. Um, make sure that you don't get too tied emotionally into that because it's unfortunate that, you know, you can start thinking with your heart instead of your head and pieces can come together and, and things can, can get ugly and interesting fast, um, from, from what we've seen. So be logical weigh both sides of it. Don't, you know, do your pros and cons list, do your, do your gap analysis, right? Yeah. yeah. Put together those notes, the spreadsheets, make sure you're talking this out. Don't make these decisions, you know, on your own, help get a good te- group of people to, to help you out. Uh, an awesome lawyer is, is a huge benefit because they see things in a very different way than at least I see things. So, um, yeah, it's just, just be prepared to, to walk away. Um, that's also going to make you a better negotiator at the end as well. Very good. Awesome advice, Jesse. Really appreciate it. Congrats again on the acquisition. Thank you. And we will have you back on soon. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Doug. Thanks again to Jesse for joining me. It's always a pleasure to uh, talk shop with Jesse. Very smart guy. And if you haven't checked out the other episodes with Jesse, please check them out. There's one uh, that was pretty recent on the best practices for Amazon associates. So that was a great one. He has a lot of experience in that area, more than me, in fact, with um, like more contacts and just generally working in the business that he does. He has been exposed to like more situations than myself. So check out that episode. It's really good. Here are a couple of the questions that came in. And by the way, if you want to ask questions, you could send an email to feedback at doug.show. And there's a voicemail um, that you can actually leave a voicemail um, on. And I'll probably play it on the show. So this one is from Balaz. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing your name correctly, but I'm doing my best. So I'm going to read most of the email here, but not the whole thing. So 
Hello, Doug. I've been reading your newsletter for a couple of weeks and there's a ton of useful information and I've been learning a lot. So fantastic. So Balaz has started a site about a month ago. You have tried to learn, he says, I've tried to learn as much as I can from various sources like me. Uh, so thanks for saying that. And uh, he also mentions Wealthy Affiliate and others. Now, I don't know Wealthy Affiliate very well, but my general exposure to wealthy affiliate is um, people trying to sell me on wealthy affiliate and to join wealthy affiliate. And it looks like most, I, I mean, I, I can, I don't have enough information. So I'm kind of talking from an uninformed position, but most of the time it seems like a scam. I don't know. You know, some people seem to like it, but most of the time I just see wealthy affiliate people trying to sell wealthy affiliate and they don't seem to be making money elsewhere, which seems kind of like a pyramid scheme to me. So do your research. Anyway, moving on. Currently I have 21 articles. Each one is 15 to 1800 words, but I'm posting every other day. I've started blog commenting, doing Pinterest and Twitter marketing based on my Pinterest guide and other outreach guides. I'm using the keyword golden ratio for keywords and I stick to the formula. I have Google Analytics and Webmaster Tools enabled or the Search Console. I have Sitemap uploaded and I see the progress in indexed links. I have internal and external linking, and I'm making sure that every article contains three to five internal links. And of course, uh, I'm tracking every article to see how many times it's been referenced and so on and so forth. Finally, my question is this. According to uh, the search console, I have appeared in only one search result, and that was me. Um, and I'm ranking for only one keyword. For a completely new site, a new domain without any record or anything like that, how long does it take to appear in search results? He says, I'm patient. I just want to know if I'm doing something wrong or if I just have to keep up the work and the results will come. Also, what makes the biggest impact on appearing in the search results? Backlinks maybe? And uh, Belaz says, thanks for the time and answer in advance. Cool. Well, thanks for sending it in. These sort of questions that are quite detailed are, um, they're good. Uh, it challenges me to read out loud, which is uh, always good to practice something you're not good at. And I'll tell you this, the bottom line, I'll just get to the point, is I don't know the answer exactly. I expect that there are dozens of factors that are in play here. And he listed the site, he or she listed the site. Actually, I don't know if it's uh, a man or a woman. Um so I, I didn't look at the site, but you know I'm not going to go audit the whole thing here. Basically, you're only one month in, and that's nothing. You know, I, I would say you know keep pushing on. You're doing a lot of work. You know, 21 articles at that length every other day. I mean, that's that's pretty awesome. So keep pushing forward. I would encourage you to stop the Pinterest work, stop the Twitter marketing. Twitter is going to basically do nothing for you. Um, If it's an affiliate site, like no one's really going to be doing anything (laughs) with, with Twitter. You're not going to get any people following links and they're like, Oh wow. I really was looking for this guide on, you know, buying hair rejuvenation, uh, you know, ointment or something like that. And um, on the Pinterest side, sure, you could spend some time there, but I would say, you know, keep publishing content and doing the outreach. Now that said, you know, you have 21 articles out there, they're keyword, 
golden ratio type content, I would stop publishing or, um, yeah, actually I, I would stop publishing. 21 is enough. I would start, um, or continue with the outreach, doing blog commenting and that sort of thing. As far as like, you know, how long does it take? Honestly, I, I would have expected um, that you would start showing up in the search results in, um, you know, a couple weeks, a month is, you know, I would expect that would be, you know, long enough, especially with the amount of content you're publishing to be able to, you know, see that you're showing up in the search results somewhere, at least in the top 100. Maybe you're not getting traffic yet, but you probably should be like showing up. So, you, I mean, again, I didn't look at the site or read the content or anything like that, but you want, may want to make sure that like the grammar's good, the there's no mistakes, and it's like edited well. Uh, further, I, I mean, if you're if you're doing stuff on Pinterest and you're doing blog commenting and Twitter marketing, there should be some links going to your site, even though those are going to be no follow. At least there are links from external sources going to your site. So Google knows it's there. That's a good thing. As far as like what the biggest impact is on appearing in the search results, I have no clue. You speculate maybe backlinks. I don't think so. I would suspect it's more like keyword research and solid high quality content. Backlinks will be helpful. Yes. But to, I mean, to show up in the top 100, which isn't, you know, I mean, you're not going to get much traffic unless you're in the top 10, but if you can get in the top 100, you should at least be getting some data and you are getting some feedback from Google that you're doing something right. So I would potentially you know, look at the content and make sure you're not keyword stuffing, for example. Um, one of the you know, most basic sins that people commit here, they do the keyword golden ratio. You said you've been learning from many other sources. I'm not saying I'm, I know everything. I know there's a certain set of things that you can do that work pretty well. The keyword golden ratio tends to work pretty well. However, if you're mixing and matching, and let's say, for example, you are using the Yoast SEO plugin and Yoast is telling you to use a keyword, a keyword golden ratio type keyword a certain percentage of the time, there's a high likelihood, almost 100%, which is a super high likelihood that you're keyword stuffing and you probably won't rank if you're keyword stuffing. So the risk here, you know, let's go, let's zoom out a little bit. The risk in following various sources is you could be picking a bad combination of things to do. So as a beginner, you wouldn't know that you're picking a bad combination that will never work. So Two quick things, right? The Yoast SEO plugin is uh, sort of the go-to, right? It's ubiquitous as far as an SEO plugin. So everyone's like, just install the Yoast SEO plugin. I'll uh, I'll be honest with you, a uh, little breaking news. I recently uninstalled the Yoast SEO plugin because, I don't know, it's doing a bunch of stuff that I don't need it to do. And I, I actually coded a little bit to do a few little things that I would like to be done. And Yoast, the Yoast plugin was doing it, but I was like, hey, I could code it myself. I mean, I just Googled it, right? I didn't make it up. But I, I Googled um, a specific thing, that the only thing that I was using Yoast for, and then I deleted it and I was like, great, one more plugin I don't have to deal with. 
where there's like updates or some fuck up or something like that, where there's a security risk or whatever. So the fewer plugins I have, the better. So anyway, the point is KGR works. All right. And then Yoast, the SEO plugin is fine. Millions of people use it. However, if you pick the wrong combo of of things, which is you're using a KGR term and then you're using the you know red light, yellow light, green light for the keyword density with Yoast, you may be shooting yourself in the foot and you're thinking, well, I got all the green lights. A number of people have emailed me. They're like, well, it just makes me feel good to see those green lights. And I'm like, it's it's not for us, right? If you're doing KGR keyword research, you're so advanced, like you're beyond what normal people are doing. Most, I mean, like 99.9% of the people in the world don't even know what keyword research is. And you're doing like a high end, like very sort of specific kind of long tail keyword research. So there's not tools um, for you to do that. Anyway, I think I've beat this one into the ground, but double check, make sure you're not keyword stuffing. Have a friend or someone check over the content, make sure the grammar's tight, make sure there's no like big goof ups or anything like that. And then, um, you know, keep plowing ahead. You're, you're doing a lot of work and that is a good thing. Taking action is like the number one thing to do. All right. Thanks again, Balaz, for uh, sending in the question, and I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Moving on, next question from my buddy John, and this is, uh, I like the way you put this, John. So, hey, Doug, I have a question for the next podcast, and it's a very selfish one. All right, I like the honesty. I run an e-commerce website. About nine months ago, I built out a brand collection page, so each brand I sell has their own collection where instead of just copying the brand's short intro for the page, I wrote a unique, helpful, thousand-word summary about why they are great and how their product can change your life. Wow, powerful writing, John. I like that. Initially, the collection pages jumped in the SERPs, that's a search engine result page, and I was getting good traffic. My collection pages are no longer in the top 100, so I must have been penalized for something perhaps overzealous with the brand name keywords, which I was generous with. However, my competitor, who I see has stuffed his page with over 10% of the main keyword is still ranking on page one. My question is, is there a way to know for sure what caused the delisting of my collection pages? I have to go back and I have go gone back. All right. A little edit there. I have gone back and removed the majority of the keywords that I could have spared the first time. Then I ran the pages through the search console, re-indexed them, waited a week, and there was no change. So I'm stumped. Am I missing something? John, excellent question. And I had to think about this a little bit and I'm not sure I know what the answer is to this. I I mean, you're on the right track as far as like analyzing the competition and seeing like what has happened there and like what's working for the competitors. I, you know, just keyword stuffing. Actually, it's funny that both questions ended up with us talking about keyword stuffing. The keyword stuffing, I, I would expect that once you removed those brand name keywords that 
you should have been able to like recover if that was actually the issue. So obviously, right, there's no change. And I don't know really what it would be. Um, I'm not sure what else is on those pages, John. So if there are a lot of like affiliate links or other links, which you know, maybe would throw off the algorithm or something like that. It could be something around that. Um, the weird part is, you know, you said that it was working before you were getting good traffic. Um, you know, you were ranking well, and then it it's fallen off the map. So I'm not really sure what's going on. So that is, um, unfortunately, Sometimes we get questions and we don't know the answer. Now, the cool part is I, I learned this in my corporate job and, and through life too. If I don't know the answer, usually I'll just say, I don't know. And then I'll ask, um, you know, you know what the answer is. Of course, John, you don't know the answer, but what I'll do, I will flip it around. There's a lot of people that do listen to the show. So if you have an idea about what we could check on here, let us know. I'll pass it along to John and maybe we could figure this out. So if you have a theory on this, shoot an email to feedback at doug.show or hit me up on the voicemail number in the show notes and description. So I'll just kind of lay out what's going on one more time, just so it's super clear. Um, John built out uh, collection pages. Basically, it's a brand page. There's a thousand word summary and it's something uniquely written that John wrote. He didn't pull the, you know, standard short intro, like the stock intro that a lot of other sites are using. He wrote it uniquely. And then all of a sudden they dropped off the top 100 results and we have no clue what's going on. It appears that maybe there was an issue with some keyword stuffing with the brand names. However, John has removed that re-index the pages and then waited and there doesn't seem to be a change. So again, I'm not really sure what's going on, but the the thing that we can take away here is if you are having some issue or you are making on-page changes, this process that John has outlined is pretty good. You make a change, you go to the search console, you index that page, I guess you inspect that page, and then you make sure you resubmit it to the index. And in that way, um, like Google reanalyzes the pages, and oftentimes you're able to get and, and see an impact within just a few days. Um, you may have to wait for like a week or so. Sometimes you wait a little bit longer, but generally on-page SEO changes happen really quickly. So it's it's a great way to you know go add some internal links, re-index a handful of pages, and then you'll get an impact within days. So. Thanks, John, for sending it in. Everyone, if you have an idea about what's going on with John's site or a theory that maybe John should test, let us know. I'll pass it back along to John. Thanks a lot for joining me today on The Doug Show. And thanks for to Jesse for uh, chatting with me. Go check out Genius Link. Check out kit.com. Pretty cool uh, just platform overall. I don't have my personal page set up yet, but I was in the process of uh, getting it going. I get questions every now and then about my YouTube setup. So that's the sort of thing I could place over in kit.com. All right, everyone have a good day and we'll catch you on the next Doug Show.